We're in a series of messages right now that we're calling Holy Sex. Digging into God's word to find out what God has to say about marriage, sexuality, and gender. Rather than taking our cues from Hollywood and the culture. Because if you haven't picked up on it already, the gap is growing wider and wider and wider and wider between what God says and what our culture says. And, and nowhere is that gap wider and more evident than when it comes to what we should be thinking about adultery. What should we, we, we be thinking about adultery? See, the Bible calls sexual unfaithfulness in a marriage adultery, a sin. It's not an affair. It's not a tryst. It's not something that will jumpstart and revive your marriage. But the world keeps trying to put a happy face on this. The world keeps trying to airbrush this whole thing into some mystical, magical, romantic adventure that can take your breath away and revive you like a giddy schoolgirl. So let me ask you, if you're here and you're married today, you're here and you're married today, what are you doing right now to avoid the temptation and trap of adultery? And it is a trap. It's not the doorway into freedom and real life and romance and excitement. The Bible calls it a trap. What are you doing right now to see that you avoid the trap of adultery? In other words, let me say this to you. What hedges do you have in place in your life already? What hedges do you have in place in your life already to see that you don't become just one more sad statistic? And if you're just sitting there looking at me and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're in trouble. Because the time to put hedges in place in your life is before the temptation knocks on your door and lands in your lap. The time to get hedges in place is before you take that business trip and spend days with people other than your spouse laughing and hanging out together and everyone looks perfect and you're seeing everybody at their best. The time to put hedges in place is before you take that road trip with three of your girlfriends from high school or that cruise. The time to put hedges in place is before the boss pairs you up for a three-month work project with a guy that is just gorgeous and soft-spoken and so kind and... Before. You better have hedges in place before. So that's what I want to do for you today. Not exhaustively, but I hope to get the juices going and help you understand there's practical, specific things that you can do and should do. I want to give you some hedges. And as I use that word, let me encourage you to invest in your marriage. I'm trying to get you to think in terms of books and having good books, starting with the Bible. But books can change you. Books can school you. Books can help you. Books can mentor you and disciple you. My life has been impacted by people that don't even know I exist because I read what they write and it impacts me. There's a book by the same title that I'm going to use over and over in this message using hedges by Jerry Jenkins. We've got him in the resource center. Get it. Get it. And anyone who sees you grab it shouldn't think, ooh, he's got trouble. She's got trouble. No. You get it before there's trouble and find out some more good ideas on how to have hedges in place in your life. Number one, first hedge, you better make up your mind to think like God thinks about adultery. And God thinks very differently than our culture, by the way. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all. So marriage is a good thing. And the bed undefiled. That's a euphemism. doesn't mean, oh, wow, that bed is great. That's a euphemism for sex. Marriage is honorable 
and the bed undefiled. So God's not against sex. He's not embarrassed. It wasn't an afterthought. Sex is not the problem. Sex in the context of marriage, God says, yay, go for it. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will, say it, say it louder, say it with gusto. Because you know what? We are, we're living in a day when people even choose to think about God, allow for God. It's that God is love. 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 And there's no place anymore for a God who would ever judge. Oh, God is love. But he loves you enough to discipline you and he loves you enough to judge you. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Just let that sink in for a minute. He will. He will. You won't get away with it. You might fool your spouse. You might fool your pastor and your small group leader. You might be fooling relatives and coworkers, but you're not fooling God. God sees every secret meeting, every illicit encounter. He sees it right now, right now. And you're going to answer for it. There will be a day of reckoning, and it just might be sooner than you think. Because Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, Numbers chapter, and I wrote it down wrong in the outline. You can correct that if you want to. It's chapter 32, verse 23. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sins will find you out. A verse my mother said to me the whole time I was a teenager, walk with the king. Remember you're a big knee and your sins will find you out. Be sure your sins will, thank you, mother. Thank you. Bless your day also. Be sure your sins will find you out. Listen to me. Sin might start off secret and private, but it never stays there. Sin by its very nature pushes towards public. Why? Because the enemy, Satan, knows that the most damaging and the most destructive and the most people that get hurt and wounded and the most shrapnel that gets spread around is when it's public, 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 sin by its very nature pushes towards public. And it never gets your permission as to what the best time for that is before it launches. Be sure your sins will find you out. So I want to ask you this morning, is adultery anywhere on your list of options today? You say, Brad, what a silly question. How awkward. Not really. Because you know what you may need to do with your list? You may have relabeled it something other than adultery. My soulmate. But if I was to find that soulmate, that lover, that compliment, because I sure don't have it in this marriage. This was a mistake. If I was to bump into that one, it would be an option. God would like for you to draw a line through all that mess and call it adultery. Adultery. You better think like God thinks about adultery. Hedge number two, you better manage your mind and not just let your thoughts run wherever they want to go. You got to make up your mind first. Make up your mind you're going to think like God thinks, but that's not enough. You can have your mind made up and still be in big trouble unless you understand you got to manage your mind. It's your job to manage your mind. Don't just let your thoughts run wherever they want to go. You say, really? Uh, Yeah, really. Really, listen to me. The battle begins right here. 
right here. Long before you jump in bed with your other body parts, your body simply follows where your thoughts and hearts have long already gone. It matters what you think. So I'm just thinking that. It's just a pleasant little thought. I'm just planning. Don't be such a fool. Whatever you think long enough and entertain long enough and cuddle long enough will be where you end up soon. We're supposed to manage our mind, fight, take every thought captive. It's our job to work to control our thoughts. Turn with me to scripture to a key passage for Christianity in general, but sexual purity in particular. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I hope you got a Bible with you or an app in your lap. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Critical passage to get a hold of and understand this is the essence of the Christian life. This right here is how you fight. This right here is how you finish well. This is how you wake up and what you should be thinking about and doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning of verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh... All right, we're living in the flesh right here. We got these bodies. We're living in the real world. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, right there should be a heads up to some of you. Guess what? This is not peacetime. If you're waking up every day thinking peacetime, you're already in trouble. You're in a war. And I'm not talking about Palestine or anywhere else in the world. I'm not talking about the culture war. I'm talking about a war for your soul. You have an enemy and there's a target on you and he wants to take you down. He came to kill and destroy and lie. You are in a war. And and the sooner you come to grips with that, the better you'll do, the better chances that you'll finish well. Four, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. All right, you're in a war and he's about to tell you what your weapons are. How do I fight? What should I do? We do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So it's not human weapons that are gonna get it done. Are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. See, here's what's going on. Your own heart and your thoughts just argue. Did God really say, well, this is not such a big deal, and I deserve, and oh, 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 oh. There's arguments going on constantly, constantly within you and within me. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. News alert. Before you ever break commandment number seven and commit adultery, you have to have already broken commandment number one and two to put nothing else before God. Long before you break commandment number seven, you've already broken one and two because notice you've got thoughts and arguments that raise themselves against the knowledge of God. I don't care what God says. I want what I want. It's gonna work out. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Taking every what? Say it again. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Your small group leader can't do that for you. Your best friend can't do that for you. I can't do that for you. It's your job every day to be aware of your thoughts and think that doesn't line up with God's word. That's not true to God's word. That's a lie. That's deceptive. That's off center. It's your job to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because if you don't, you will end up in places you never intended to be, becoming someone you never wanted to be. But it started with a, say it, thought. The message paraphrase translates verse 5 this way. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose 
thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. You better take every loose thought, emotion, and impulse and grab hold of it and move it in the direction of the structure of life in Christ. You say, how would I know what that would look like? If you're not reading the Bible, you don't even know what to do. You don't even know where to move. You, you're at a loss. And, and, I, and it breaks my heart every time I bring this up. It's awkward. Awkward in a small group. Awkward in a big group. When I just say, hey, where are you reading your Bible right now? Christians aren't reading their Bibles. You're in big, 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 big trouble already. How am I going to have a standard by which to even recognize errant thoughts if I'm not reading this? i got to know this. And then I begin to recognize that's a little off. That's, that's way off. That's a lie. That's Read it and then take every loose thought, emotion, and impulse and move it into the structure of life in Christ. But we're living in a day that says, oh, you're supposed to follow your feelings. Go with your feelings. Go with those impulses. That's when you're most authentic. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And do something I don't feel. Please shut up. That's not being a hypocrite. When you do what God says, even when you don't feel it, it's called big boy, big girl Christianity. Grow up. Little kids do what they feel. Little kids go with every impulse and urge and thought. Grow up. It's called maturity. You go from being a sapling and you start being an oak and you start sending your roots down deep. Is it easy? You fight. You fight. You don't go with your feelings. There's, there's, there's every day you'll have opportunities to think, I feel this, I want this, I think this, but God's word says this and his spirit is telling me this and I'm gonna do this and it will be a knock down, drag out and it's all happening right here. And people around you might even not even know. But every day, multiple times a day, you've got to fight, 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 fight by God's grace and his spirit in you. You better not just decide you're going to believe what God says, make up your mind to believe, but you're going to have to manage your mind. And no one can do it for you. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And you might be thinking, okay, what thoughts do I need to be on guard for? This might surprise you. The most dangerous thought that you should be alert to is not that you would wake up this next week and think, I think I'm going to commit adultery. It's fall. The leaves are turning. We can have a crisp bike ride, a camp out, and some adultery. This would be good. That is not likely to be what you struggle with this next week or anytime soon. Because Satan's not that stupid and he's never that direct. But he knows he's won a major victory if he can just get you to start thinking and feeling sorry for yourself. You know why? Self-pity sets the table for sexual sin. If you're living with self-pity, feeding it, coddle it, you are setting the table. You're putting out the placemats, the, di- the plates, and the fork, and the knife. You're getting ready for some sexual sin because self-pity, the person who's soaked in self-pity wakes up every day, spends their day and night saying, I deserve better than this. My marriage is not working out. It's not the dream I'd hoped for. My spouse just isn't, 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 isn't. You fill in the blank. Self-pity sets the table 
for sexual sin. So, you don't just need to be on guard every day thinking, oh, I don't want to commit adultery. I don't want to commit adultery. I don't. Satan is going to show up and say, commit adultery. He's just going to say, that's really sad. You shouldn't have to put up with that. You deserve better than that. Watch out. Repent quickly of self-pity. That's a thought you should be alert to. One of the most dangerous thoughts you could harbor are thoughts of self-pity. Because here's the deal. Once you've been soaked in self-pity, it's only a matter of time. And with the right person, given the right circumstances at the right time, it's just a short step from self-pity into sexual sin and adultery. And our enemy, Satan, will make sure that those three things intersect at just the right moment. Right person, right circumstance, right time. He's the master at putting together the perfect temptation. And your temptation is not the same as mine and doesn't look the same as yours and doesn't look the same as yours and doesn't look the same as yours. But he is watching us. He's learning us. And he's designing just the perfect temptation. Right person, right circumstance, right time. And if you're eaten up with self-pity and you've been soaking in self-pity, you are so vulnerable and susceptible to just crossing that line. Let me give you another dangerous thought. I married the wrong person. News alert. Welcome to the club. (laughs) I mean, who hasn't thought that? It's like you just thought, whoa, I hadn't, oh, first three years of our marriage. I was buying books. I bought like eight, nine, 10 marriage books. And one of them was titled the incompatible couple. For real. Because I just thought, this, is, this will never work. I want my music loud, hitting me in the chest. She wants it off. I want to be the last one at the party. She wants to be the first one to leave. And I could go down the list. I'm just like, this will never work. My life is over. <laughs> How did I make this mistake? How did this happen? And so there's this sense in our culture that my soul. The Bible doesn't teach anything like that. There's not one person that was for you. You're not that special. (laughs) He didn't do that. You can marry any number of people. Just make sure it's a growing Christian and go ahead and get started because whoever is out there will be a sinner. Sinner. Say it with a hiss. Sinner. Sinner. So here's the deal. You might as well get over that and start working on the marriage you do have with the sinner you already committed to rather than starting over all over again with a different sinner, different zip code, different last name. I want to go ahead and go with the problems I know about in this marriage. Don't start all over. You can switch problems, but there will be problems because we live in a fallen, broken world and there is no maintenance-free relationship. Get over the I married there. Oh, I should have married Fred. I should have married Desiree. <laughs> you know? <sighs> if you could see Desiree now, maybe not. And that person you're on the internet with that won't show you a photo yet because for all you know, it's a man pretending to be a woman. Get off the internet. You know, they really understand me. And if you saw them, you just think, oh, oh. 
Oh, you know, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard someone say, I married the wrong person, I could personally pay off the building. <laughs> it's like, get over that soon and start working on the marriage that you do have. And, and listen, get off the internet. I'm not saying you can't use the internet. You can't have Facebook and keep up with the grandkids and what you're doing or whatever. I have Twitter, at Brad Bigney. Check it out. But I'm trying to use Twitter to the glory of God, and I'm being cautious and careful. Listen to me. Don't reconnect with your high school sweetheart on the internet. Don't reconnect with your college lover on the internet. Don't reconnect with that person you met in Colorado at that conference 18 months ago that there was a spark. Don't connect on the internet with anyone other than your spouse. Do not begin to... It's, it's the land of make-believe. That is not a real relationship. As soon as you leave your spouse, relocate, start living with them, have a marriage with sick kids and things breaking down and problems, things to work through, and you'll say, oh, they were so easy to talk to and I could talk to them all night long. We just talked, 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 and now something's changed. I can't talk to her. I can't talk to him. Hello. Now it's a relationship that has to be worked on, and every relationship does. So go ahead and harness all your energies to work on the one you have. Don't start over. Listen to me. Social media is a powder keg that is just waiting to explode in every one of our marriages. You say, Brad, what are you talking about? You're all up in arms. Calm down. No. Exactly what I thought was true as a pastor at a, at a, at a place thing. And I hear this all the time. Statistics. I did some research. Statistics. Get this. Last year. Last year, more than one-third of all divorce filings included the word Facebook in them. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, when you're just talking and connecting and do not connect and bond emotionally and share your heart and talk about your marriage troubles with someone else on the internet. Stop it. Stop it. The American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers said that 81% of its members have used evidence plucked from Facebook, Twitter, and other social networking media in the last five years as they sort through divorce proceedings. One in five adults uses Facebook for flirting. Shut it down. You will never be able to invest all you need to invest in the marriage you do have with the hose of social media siphoning off your best energies and emotions into the land of make-believe. And that is what it is. It's the land of make-believe. It's a lie. Come back into the light and work on the marriage you do have. Hedge number three. You better minimize your media intake and magnify, do everything you can to magnify the consequences of sin. You're going to have to cut out. Listen, you're going to have to cut out a lot of TV and media. You're just going to have to cut it out. If you're going to win this battle, if you're going to finish well, if you're going to stay pure, if you're going to guard your thoughts, listen to me. You cannot be on Netflix watching reruns of Desperate Housewives week after week and not become one yourself. No way. You can't watch desperate people jumping from bed to bed and then think it's not going to affect you. Psalm 101, verse 3 is a great verse. You could tape to the front of your computer and tape it to the front of your TV. I will set no wicked thing 
before my eyes. Don't watch for entertainment what God calls sin and think that it's not going to affect you. You're going to have to do everything you can to minimize media intake and to magnify the consequences of sin because television is spending millions of dollars making adultery look like a magical mystery tour. And Scripture, oh, listen to me, Scripture doesn't say anything flattering about adultery. No exception clauses. No fine pre- You say, but, 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 but what about in nothing? Not a single flattering word about adultery in the Bible. Proverbs twenty two fourteen says adultery is a trap. Proverbs 6, 32 and 33 says, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get and his reproach will not be wiped away. And I'm just getting started. Go, go read Proverbs chapter 1 through 7. He comes back and hits adultery over and over and over and over. It reduces you to a loaf of bread as a stag is led away to the slaughter. And he doesn't even know that he's being led to death. That's how the Bible talks about adultery. It's not the doorway to freedom and real romance and my soulmate and my lie, lie, lie. It is a trap and it leads to death and it will destroy your soul and you will have wounds and dishonor. And deep regrets. Deep regrets. Just a couple years ago, I read an article in the New York Times. This is not a Christian. New York Times article where this woman is writing 20 years after her adultery and describing the horrors of what she feels now and the regrets. Let me read you just a little bit of it. She says, not long ago, the friend of a friend spent the night in a hotel room, which is sometimes what you do when you find out your spouse has been having a year-long affair. I know this for two reasons. Number one, I've had an affair. Number two, I've been the victim of one. You'll hear yourself saying you cheated because your needs weren't being met. The spark was gone. You were bored in your marriage. Your lover understands you better. One or another version of this excuse will cross your lips like some dark, knee-jerk, hallmark card sentiment. And then she says this, so insightful. She says, the great sex, by the way, is a given. When you have an affair, you already know you will have passionate sex. The urgency, newness, and illicit nature of the affair practically guarantee that. What you don't know, or perhaps what you don't allow yourself to think about, is that your life will become an unbearable mix of yearning, and regret because of it. It will be difficult, if not impossible, to be in any one place with contentment. When you're with your lover, you'll be working on your alibi and feeling loathsome. When you're with your spouse, you'll be dying to return to your love nest. When you're at home, everything in your life will look just a little bit out of register. The furniture, the food in the refrigerator, your children, your dog, Because you have detached yourself from your normal point of reference. And it now belongs to a reality you've abandoned. You'll be pulled between two poles. One of obligation and responsibility. And the other of pleasure and escape. And the stress of those opposing forces will threaten to split you in two. And sooner or later your illicit once beloved object of affection will become tawdry. Wearying. You will come to long for simple honest pleasures like making dinner with your sons and going to the movies 
without looking over your shoulder. And then there's a lot more, but she concludes it this way. I look at my parents, she says, at how much simpler their lives are at the ages of 75, mostly because they haven't marred the landscape with grand-scale deceit. They have this marriage of 50-some years behind them, and it is a monument to success. A few weeks or months of illicit passion could not hold a candle to it. If you were 75, which would you rather have? Years of steady, if occasionally strained, devotion? Or something that looks a little bit like the Iraqi city of Fallujah, cratered with spent artillery? From where I stand now, it all looks like a cheap hotel room. And despite the sex and the excitement, there is no view from this room worth having. Don't you love it when unbelievers actually say what the Bible says? It's true whether they agree with it or not. Folks, no view worth having. Hedge number four, stop holding back and throw yourself into your own marriage. Listen to me. Your marriage is either growing or moving backwards. You're either going forward or backwards. There's no middle ground. There's no place to pull to the shoulder of the road. There's no place to park. Marriage has no emergency brake. In other words, picture your marriage as a project you're working on on a steep hill. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. You can't just put it on hold. You can't just say, oh, I'm in school right now. Oh, we got a lot of young kids. Oh, my job is so demanding. I'm building a business. Listen to me. What are you doing right now with the time constraints you do have, the kids you do have, the season of life you are in, the business that you do have to invest in your marriage and keep it moving forward? Perfect? No. But investing, moving forward. Listen to me. You cannot park your marriage and think you're going to go back to it years later and find it there. It won't be there. If you find it at all, you'll find it at the bottom of the hill, twisted and crumpled. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. So let me give you some suggestions if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, how do you do that? Number one, talk. There is no, there's no substitute for communication. Talk. In our house, we call it couch time. Just sit on the couch for 20 minutes and talk. Don't try to solve a problem. Just connect, hang out, talk. Sometimes it's walk around the block time. You must talk. You must have times where you're just together and just hang out and you're talking. Number two, keep dating and courting each other. Dress up, throw some makeup on, paint the barn, put a new little outfit on, throw a spiffy scarf on. And ladies, put on some heels, enough of this flat stuff shuffling around. Put on some heels and step out. Remind your man of why he went for you. You still got it. I mean, some of you just need a little help. Sweatpants don't get it, you know? Dress up, dress up. Put some things on the calendar you can look forward to. We got a date. We got a hot date. Don't live like roommates. Don't just live like roommates. Date. Number three, do the little things again. Do the little things. Listen, marriages erode not just with big calamities like adultery. They erode one little thing at a time. Do the sacrificial things. Sacrifice for each other. Serve each other in little ways. You can pump life back into a marriage. One little sacrifice and act of service at a time. Serve. Do the little things again. And number four, 
Don't allow unresolved conflict to remain in your marriage. You say, we're stuck. We need help. Hello, so were we. I said the same thing over and over. She said the same thing over and over. I said it a little louder. She still didn't get it. I came at it from here, 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 here. She still didn't get it. We got help. We went and sat down with a counselor who I was confident could help her get what I was trying to say. (laughs) And surprise, he told me some things that I did not appreciate, but in the long run, were very helpful. And we got unstuck. We were not going to get unstuck on our own. And you're in a church that offers free biblical counseling. You might be in a small group with some godly couples. Reach out for help, but don't stay stuck with unresolved conflict. I'll tell you why. When you've got unresolved conflict, you both take a step back. It gets cool. Some walls go up. And if you think that's bad, that's not the worst part. Then it work. You click with someone who does understand you. Please shut up. And you start talking about your marriage problems to another woman. You talk to... Listen to me. Do not talk about your marriage problems to the opposite sex, period. Period. I don't know how I can say that any stronger. Period. Do not. That's why we don't counsel women. I don't counsel women alone here. We don't counsel women alone here. What a bad idea, right? I'm not perfect. You've heard me say enough about our marriage to know, oh, he's, he's difficult. But I'm sitting there with a woman who's saying she's got a husband that never listens, that doesn't care, and what am I doing? I'm listening, I'm caring, I'm buff, I'm ripped, I'm cut. This is a disaster, <laughs> you know? This is a disaster in the making. I kid. Because listen to me, I hope, you've already, I hope you already understand this. I continue to be struck by the people people run off with. They're not buff and ripped and cut. You know what they are? They listened and they cared and they were kind. Watch out. You're listening. Don't listen to someone else's marriage problems. Don't have coffee with them and listen to it. Don't travel in a car together and listen to it. Don't sit in the airport. and Do not talk about your marriage problems to someone of the opposite sex. And do not listen to it and become the, the counselor for someone else. Point them to someone of the same sex that can help them. One of the, along with that, one of the most dangerous things, and this is hedge number five, You need to do everything you can to minimize opportunities of temptation. You know what one of the biggest opportunities for temptation is in our culture? The business trip. And companies are downsizing and cutting, so all of a sudden, instead of you running Cincinnati, you're running five states, and you got to travel all the time. You're in airports all the time. You're in hotels all the time. You're in elevators all the time. You travel alone. You fly alone. You eat alone. You're in stressful meetings all day, and then you're in the hotel alone. How's that not a recipe for disaster? Because let me tell you something about the flesh. The sinful flesh ramps it up with anonymity. You know what I mean by that? When you think no one knows who you are. You're in another city. You're in another place. Nobody knows me. I'm just going to check out some of these things I've heard about. I I travel a little bit now, teaching at conferences in other cities. and, And I notice as I'm on the shuttle in the airport, groups of people like flight attendants and and, and pilots. There they all are, some married, some not married, laughing, (laughs) carrying on. And somebody's going to say, hey, I know this great restaurant downtown. My uncle used to live here. Who wants to go? 
Someone's going to say, hey, that new movie just opened tonight, you know, the 3D one with all the explosions. Who wants to go? Hey, I'm going to catch the Monday night football game down, down at the bar and get some drinks. And you're going to be spending that time in a taxi cab, at the airport, at the bar, wherever it might be, in that restaurant laughing. <laughs> They're dressed up. You're dressed up. You don't have problems with them. You're not trying to raise kids with them. You don't have a broken down car or water heater with them. You don't have conflict with them. And you're going to think, oh, I wish my wife was more like her. Get out of there. Get out of there. Don't spend time connecting with other people who are not your spouse. Go to the gym and ride the bike or the treadmill. And when a woman comes in, get out. (laughs) Go to your room, read a book, turn the TV off. Call your wife, call your husband, find out how they're doing with the three little kids that were all sick when you left. Remind yourself, I've got a spouse, I've got a life over here. Do not go out to coffee with someone who's not your spouse. Do not go to the gym with someone who's not your spouse. Don't go to a movie with someone who's... I I didn't think I would have had to say this, but I do because I hear people saying, oh, nothing's wrong with that. It's good for our marriage. Liar. Fool. Fool. Like Mr. T, you remember that? Fool. Foo! How stupid can you be? But here's the deal. Sin makes you, say it, stupid. Do not go out to coffee with someone who's not your spouse or the gym or the movie. Do not pray together alone with someone who's not your spouse. These are all things that connect you. Do everything you can to not... When I'm at conferences, even here at the church, I hope this isn't an awkward moment, but if there's a female who comes up a lot, laughs a lot, Tells me how wonderful the sermon to me is a lot. Touches my arm. I tell Vicky, I say, honey, I wanted you to know. Here's, here's how I'm feeling. I want you to know. I'm telling you now. And, and if I'm at a conference and someone's just like, oh, you're the best. Oh. And then during every break, I go out of my way to turn my shoulder, to engage with someone else. I'm not going to connect with someone who is not my spouse. By God's grace and for his glory, I'm fighting not to do this. And you better fight too. You better fight. Fight. So have a plan for business trips. If you have to travel, I gave you a plan. There's a separate insert where there's a a purity covenant for the computer that I'd like you to consider signing. And then if you look on the back panel, there's a plan, business trip plan. If you don't like it, revise it and come up with something you do like, but you better have a plan. A second area that I think is huge is just all the joking and the sexually provocative innuendos in the workplace. And I think you know what I'm talking about. The laughing, the jokes, the hugs, the pats. Don't play those games. Don't do it. If you're here and you're married, you ought to wear your wedding ring, talk about your spouse, in a positive way. <laughs> Wear your wedding ring. Talk about your spouse in a positive way. And do not flirt. If you got big, get a bigger ring. I hear it all the time. Oh, I got bigger. Well, get a bigger ring. Oh, I get a rash. Get an ointment. And figure the rash out. Because it's time for married people to wear their ring. If you have to wear it in your nose, do that. But people need to know. He's taken. She's taken. Wear your ring. Talk about your spouse in a positive way and do not flirt. Period. The stakes are high, folks. We're in a war. Satan wants to take you out. I'm just this weekend, I'm working on this message and I get an email from a friend who says, Brad, ah, 
Doug Phillips, some of you would know that name, runs this whole ministry called Vision Forum that's all about raising your boys to be men. It's all about chivalry and all this great stuff. And he's written all these books and he has nine kids and blah, 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 blah. He just announces this weekend he's involved with another woman and he's stepping down. He's been in the middle of leading conferences and writing books about marriage, 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 marriage while he was involved with another woman. Now, I don't, I don't say that to slam Doug Phillips and put him in a category different than us. We are Doug Phillips. It's a powder keg just waiting to go off. Don't, don't just assume you're going to finish well You better put in place hedges. You better be ready to fight. You better plan ahead before temptation is knocking on your door and landing in your lap. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would, by your grace and for your glory, help us to put a plan in place. Those that are stuck right now and they are in trouble, they're in it. Grant them repentance to come into the light. And begin the process of repentance and restoration. Those that are just careless, that are living very careless and loose, sober them up. Sober them up to recognize there's a war. And those who have adultery in their past, Lord, help them to know there's forgiveness. They're not second class. They're not the redheaded stepchildren. There's grace and forgiveness to start again. Help us, O Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.